Welcome back, everyone. Hope you had a great weekend. Tanner Hoops with you in the sports pen on this Monday afternoon. Glad to have you with us, as always. A lot happened over this weekend. We'll get to it in part, but we got a special show today. It's an officiating show here on ESPN. UP and I got a couple of real life MHSA officials in studio with me. Give them a moment to introduce themselves. Dave Poninen officiates baseball, football here. What's up, Dave? Hey, how are you doing, Tanner? I'm good. good. I'm good. Glad to have you here. Brad Austin does football, basketball, soon to be volleyball as well. What's up, Brad? Tanner, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. Hey, glad, glad to have you both. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can get a third member of our crew here in a little bit, but uh, we'll see if. I know he's got other obligations. We'll see if we can get him on. But, man, we have a lot to get today. This is going to be a lot of fun because we're going to give our listeners the perspective of the stripes, the officials, and let them know, you know, kind of some background as far as how you guys go about your business making the calls that you do. So you both do football, and that's the common denominator. So let's start there because we've got games coming up this week. First thing first, tell me about how crews are determined. Whichever one of you wants to answer, tell me about how the MHSA, or is it up to the crew to put together the crew itself? I think I can take that one, Brad. Uh, generally speaking, there's a crew leader, a crew chief, I guess, if, if you want to call it that. Um, he goes out and recruits guys. You know, we The guys on our crew we've all known for, you know, I've known Brad for almost 30 years here, and we've got other guys that I've known and played against when I was a kid. Um, it's basically... The crew goes out and decides the crew, and then you, you know, you pick six, seven guys. Uh, you got some subs and alternates because things come up naturally. But um, by and large, it's it's picked by us. At any point, if a crew member is no longer able to be an official, retires, what have you, how do you go about replacing him? If you're having problems replacing him, does the MHSA step in, or are they able to step in? How does it work? Uh, Tanner, I'm not sure if the MHSA is able to step in. I think in general. You know, you get crews over time that disband, um, and maybe you've got two or three, you know, guys that are left from crews. So a lot of times if, you know, there's people that are in that situation, if your crew's short one or two people, a lot of times you can pick them up from crews that have disbanded. I think we've we've actually got some of that this year uh, on our own crew. We've picked up a few guys that were uh, on a crew that was disbanded. Tell me about the positions of uh, the officials and how they're determined. I mean, a lot of people... You know, some will know the football savvy type will know the difference between a back judge, a linesman, what have you. Tell me about how those are determined and what some of their roles are. Um, well, I guess I can talk about myself for a little bit. Um, the umpire position is where I'm technically located. I think that's where they try and put the biggest guy in the field because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of traffic. There's cross traffic, linebackers you got to avoid, linemen you got to avoid. I mean, there, that's there, a lot happens right in that first three yards of line of scrimmage. Um, so as far as line judge, you know, back judge, we just kind of pick up our own position. You know, you read a book, you do some film, you, you know, you start to start at the lower levels and then you work your way up and, you know, hopefully you get to the point where you're pretty, pretty good. So what are you watching for from that position? What is it that you're trained to be look, on the lookout for? For the umpire, it's, it's tackle to tackle. Uh, it's a lot of holding inside holds, um, chop block, cut block, uh, things of that sort. Uh, not a whole lot of pass interference. It's got to be really obvious if you know, right behind you, right in front of you, but uh, mainly holding false starts, that kind of thing. Brad, what about you? What are you looking at? Um, I got a count on the defense, uh, you know, coming out on every play. Uh, I'm responsible for the goal line, so I'm not allowed to uh, let anyone get past me, which uh, presents its own set of challenges being a little bit older. Some of these kids uh, are, are real fast. So those are the, the main things that I'm looking for. And then, of course, on the pass, uh, pass interference. Um, and then just, I, I think, just clean up, you know, on the backside of things where, you know, you kind of have a perspective that's a little bit deeper. You're seeing things develop, so you're looking for, you know, any unsportsmanlike, those type of things that might come at the end of a play. Do you have any kind of power as far as determining what position in the umpire and crew you are? Do you have the ability to pick it, or does the crew assign that to you? Um, no, generally speaking, we, we pick it. Um, we've got guys that are pretty diverse and, you know, can be a line judge, back judge, umpire, referee you know we rotate referees we have two guys that like to wear the white hat so they rotate game in and game out um so yeah it's crew dependent and you mentioned the white hat and for those of our listeners who may not know tell me about the white hat's responsibility um on our crew it's just keep us in line um <laughs> you know he he's the one that he's the face of the organization the face of the crew he he you know he calls the penalties he marks them off he he's the interaction with the coach generally unless there's something really specific where we'll get involved. But usually the white hat is kind of the, the 
liaison for all that. Is it up to each crew to set their own responsibilities, or is it handed down from the MHSA that a certain official is going to watch for this and a different official watches for something else? Um, I, I, you know, I, I, you know, Brad can chime in too. I, I believe it, it's it's position specific. You know, there, there's the NFL is ultimately what sets everything as to who watches what, when, and where, and then it just kind of has a trickle down theory to us. Um, granted, we're not at the speed of the NFL, of course, but um, yeah, it, it's not dictated by the MHSA. It's a rule of thumb, kind of like other sports. You know, you gotta you gotta know what you're looking for. Um, and generally speaking, once you work with a group of guys, you know, this is I think this is our fourth year together, holistically as a crew. You know, you get to know what the other guys are looking for, what what they're going to call, what they're not going to call, you know, things of that sort. So. When you're at this point in the season, we've got football kicking off this weekend, a few scrimmages and what have you out there right now. How do you guys get ready for this season? As an officiating crew, what do you do to prepare for the year? Well, we usually have a little meeting, um, you know, before we get started. Any rule changes, um, you know, Dave has mentioned our crew a few times. I mean, we've got a lot of knowledge on our crew. We're very fortunate, a lot of guys, very smart. They know the rules. Um, they bring things to the table. A couple of weeks ago we got together, you know, rule changes, those type of things. So we'll talk about those, review them, uh, make sure everybody got the rules meeting. You know, we talked a little bit about the exam for the playoffs and those type of things. So I think there's some pre. I know Dave's done some scrimmages. Uh, I unfortunately haven't been able to get out. But uh, between, you know, a get-together and then some early, you know, scrimmages in the year, I think that's probably the best way that people generally get ready. Well, and you do have a significant rule change as far as football goes and the game clock, what have you. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, used to be last year it was a 25-second game clock. So it was 25 seconds from the spot of the ball. So whenever the umpire got the ball from wherever it was, out of bounds, caught, run, whatever, um, you had 25 seconds from the spot of that ball to declare ready and then to run your next play. Now they've changed it so it's 40 seconds from the end of the previous play to the start of the next play. So we'll see how that works out. Um, you know, it, it's new to us too, so we're, we're kind of – we saw it a little bit at the scrimmages last week where, you know, teams are starting to try and feel this out as far as no huddle, things like that. So there's going to be some mechanical issues with that. But, you know, we'll get through it and we'll, we'll be all right. And, Brad, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're the official that keeps track of the play clock. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I've got clock responsibilities in the back. So I'll, be ha I'll have the 40-second clock. So typically, um, you know, we've got timers either on our waist or where I'm on our wrist. Uh, we get to 10 second. We usually give a hand signal to the quarterback, and then we count down from five. So, you know, there's notifications to let them know when things are getting close. Is it just a typical delay a game foul if that happens, or is it categorized any differently? No, same. Same, yeah. same delay a game. So, again, it used to be a 40-second uh, 25 last year after the end of the play, or, yeah, okay, once the official gets the ball, and I want to make sure I get this right, 40 seconds from the end of the previous play this year, Barring no flags. Correct. All right. So I tell you what, that was maybe the most significant rule changes offseason. Was there anything else that was tweaked? Anything of significance? No, there were a couple of little cut block rules and things where the free blocking zone, but that was the that's going to be the most significant for, for folks. Well, you got football coming up right around the corner. You guys said you've been with each other about four years. Has the entire crew been consistent, stayed the same through that time? Yeah, I mean, by and large, we, like Brad alluded to earlier, we've assimilated a couple from another crew that disbanded this year. Uh, but, you know, we've we've all known each other uh, 25 years plus, just haven't worked that long in football. So uh, a lot of the guys have worked a lot longer without, you know, this crew nucleus together right now. But, um, yeah, it's a good group. So tell me about the process of being MHSA certified. What you go through to get to that point? Well, it, it's actually not as laborious as people think. Mm. Um, you you got to... There's a fee that you got to pay, um, a main fee, and then a sports-specific fee. They send you some books, and then generally it's on-the-job training. It's you know we're not fortunate around here where we don't have a whole lot of JV programs, but you know in in years past that's where you start, and that's where you kind of cut your teeth. Are freshmen in JV, um, then you get noticed, or you you know you, a crew notices you, or you you catch on with some buddies and just kind of go from there. So. So is it almost like a farm system in a way that you start in the middle school levels, the JV, and they're kind of like the minors in some sense, and if somebody thinks you're doing a good, consistent job, you get called up? I, I, in a sense, I think so. I mean, I maybe because of some of the shortages that we've seen over the past few years, I think in all sports, 
um, guys maybe have been elevated into you know a, a higher level that maybe they didn't anticipate as early. Um, I think that's where you know having a crew with a lot of knowledge. You know, for myself coming in, I mean, I, I came in and got assigned a back judge, didn't have really any experience. But like I said earlier, I mean, we've got four other guys that really know the game real well. And I think if you're communicating, you know, prior to games and in game. Um, and you're involved in the game. I think that's a big part of it, too, is getting engaged in what's going on. Uh, I think it goes a long way. So, again, it's in the officiating show today, specialty show. We're in studio with Dave Poninen and Brad Austin, both of whom are MHSA certified officials. They both do football here in the Upper Peninsula. So let's talk about your schedule, guys. How is that assigned? Who decides where you're going on a given Friday night? Is that something the MHSA directs? Is that something you as a crew work out with a school, or how does that work? No, we've, we've got a crew leader per se, um, and he goes out and solicits to all the athletic directors at the beginning of the year, you know, hey, what do you got for us week one through nine, and then he just kind of fills in the schedule. We there, I don't believe there's, until you get to the playoffs, there's no MHSA involvement in your normal schedule. Is it a requirement that, you know, in emergency's sake, what have you, somebody has something pop up on a Friday afternoon, is it possible that you can go with an abbreviated crew and there's some rotating there, or is it... In emergency basis, you got to find somebody if you want this game to go on. Well, in an emergent basis, we'd certainly do our best to find someone. We have done it before where mm -hmm. we've been one guy short. You rotate around, kind of like the major leagues. You know, they usually work with four umpires. Uh, if somebody gets sick or hurt, then they go with three, and it's just a different rotation. So the, the preference is certainly a, a full crew, but we've done it with both. Tell me about the way that uh, y you can become an official, because I know that's a shortage in Michigan right now. You know, sometimes it can be an unenviable job, but tell me about some ways, if we have some listeners out there who are interested, maybe never knew how, how could they become an official? Well, I think the first thing would be to recognize that you want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's certainly not for everyone. We've we, You got to have, you know, and everybody hears the cliche, you got to have thick skin. You can't take everything to heart because coaches are your friend outside the lines, but inside the lines, you know, that's their business too. So um, for me, I started when I was 10 years old umpiring girls softball because the umpires didn't show up to my dad's my dad was coaching mm. um my sisters were playing and the umpires didn't show up so he said hey i got a job for you you can earn 10 bucks well back in 1989 87 that was 10 bucks was 10 bucks <laughs> you know nowadays you probably wouldn't look at that too hard but um and it just kind of grew from there i a lot of young, a lot of older umpires that mentored me um dave turin was a was an umpire who you know if you've been around marquette in the last 30 years everybody knows who dave turin was um, and then it just kind of morphs into what you know what you want to do if you want to do basketball if you you know some guys have played basketball I personally I didn't so I, I'm not real comfortable officiating that but football I grew up with baseball I grew up with hockey I grew up with don't do hockey but I mean it's just kind of interperson specific Brad can you tell me is there any kind of licensing fee you know you talked about how there is a license to get certified by the MHSA. Does that cover all sports, or do you have to have one license to do football, one to do basketball, et cetera? Yeah. Either one of you. Sure, I think there's one, there is one flat fee, but then it is sport-specific from there. So when you register for each individual sport, there's a, there's a fee for each. So you contact the MHSA, best way to get involved if there's somebody out there who wants to be an official. Is that kind of how you guys did it? Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly how we did it. You know, the other thing you can do is if, you know, if you're at a field on Friday night and you see the crew walking off the field and you're thinking, hey, maybe this is for me, talk to them. Okay. I mean, none of us are above being talked to, you know, and then we'll get you in there. We'll get you some JV games. We'll get, you know, we'll, we'll find a way to get you in if there's a, a desire to be there. There is the need right now in Absolutely. Michigan. That, and like I was saying earlier, it is sometimes an unenviable job because you guys go through a lot. And I don't know that our listeners, you know, some fans always realize that despite it, you know, having certain difficulties, should we say, to the job, what makes it so enjoyable for you guys? Why is it such a passion for you? Well, I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. It's the group of guys we're with. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we, yeah, we're all business between the lines. But then after, you know, after the game, we, we go out to a local establishment and have a pizza and just talk about what we saw and, you know, families, friends. Again, we've known each other for a long time. So mm -hmm. it, it's more of a family reunion every friday night versus going to work if that makes sense brad kind of the same feeling with you yeah, yeah I, I, same feeling with me i also think it's a way to stay connected to the game i mean as former players i mean dave played football and other sports i i did also members of our crew played before i think uh you know when you can't play anymore 
and you're trying to protect the knees and the ankles from the from the big one it's a chance to you know still be involved and and being on the field in particular football like on on friday nights and thursday nights it's it's a it's a unique feeling to be you know involved and be a part of the game it is the espn up officiating show as we get set to kick off high school football this weekend let's take our first time out we got more in officiating football plus others coming up next on espn up Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along as always. Our ESPN-UP official show as we're talking with local officials around Marquette County. Dave Poninen and Brad Austin are in studio with us. You know, we've been talking about football. We'll continue to do so because that's what's on the mind of all our listeners pretty much this week uh, with high school football starting Thursday and Friday. I want to get into a few other sports, though. Brad, you do some basketball, do a little bit of volleyball. Dave, you do some baseball as well. I think you do softball too, right? I do. Did a little bit of softball. I think I think we had a tournament together yep. one time. Yep. Uh, but I tell you what, let's talk about a little bit of basketball here over the next couple of minutes or so. And, Brad, that's kind of your specialty. you got a three-man crew. In basketball, is that same as football? You get to pick who that is, or is that something different? Well, I think it's like Dave was saying. I think it's organized kind of the same way. You usually get together and you know find out you know who's available. People you know start talking, and you uh, form a crew. And I think the schedules and stuff are developed a lot of the same ways. Also, you know, we get one crew leader that gets all the ads in the area, and usually you get a schedule set that way. You've got the white hat in football. You've got the crew chief in baseball. Does basketball have any official that's the head of the crew? Uh, yes, they do. And as a matter of fact, as, as we were talking earlier, a lot of my officiating at this point has been uh, two-man. Mm. Uh, Three-man, you see that a lot at the varsity level. Uh, I have not done a lot of varsity boys uh, and girls games. A lot of my stuff has been uh, at the J- JV level and below. Um, I still have a lot to learn on the on the basketball side. The varsity boys and, and girls both. I mean, there's a pace there that uh, – you know, you really have to be on top of your game. So, you know, that's an ongoing, you know, developmental thing uh, for myself. Tell me about the rotation. You know, you've got generally those three officials, and I you know you haven't done a whole lot of that, but there's the rotation with three-man crews. And, and with two, I'm, I'm sure there's got to be some kind of system that at least you know what you're watching for. Can you speak to those aspects a little bit? Uh, sure. I mean, on a three-man side, I know you've got the lead in the middle, and then there's the official on the baseline. Um, and there's a rotation there, and in two man, you know, you're you're opposite of your partner, so you've got someone on the baseline, and then generally someone op- opposite of you, somewhere between, you know, probably the three point line and the in the half court line. Uh, and again, I think that that just flexes depending on, you know, where players are and and what's going on. But two man at the high school level can be, you know, a challenge. I mean, you got to get on it. Uh, you know, kids are moving quick, and uh, it's it's usually a pretty good workout. Yeah, does the lead change, as you mentioned, that the lead's going to be in a certain spot? Does the the lead change from person to person? It can, yeah. In three men, there's there's definitely rotation there. Um, as I said, you've, you've got someone in the middle, and, and you really have sectors there, you know, from the little bit that I've done it and, you know, uh, communications that I've had with others that have, you know, been trying to teach me it or, or been around it. I know that there's just areas that you're watching, and, you know, you've got your areas of responsibility regarding calls. Mix in a little bit of baseball while we're doing this. And Dave, tell me about the way that a baseball crew is set up, or softball. Tell me generally, how many guys do you have out there in a crew? Uh, usually we, we try to go with a three-man crew. It's a two-man crew that works the games. Mm. Uh, but we try and mix in a three-man crew. For for instance, if someone gets hurt, you know, family events come up, children events, you know, things like that. So it, it's the same, I guess there's a common theme between all these. You know, it's a group of guys that get together kind of become a crew right and then decide who gets what so do you bring all three guys to the game with you or is it just you have the two with you they're the ones that work the games yeah no that, that is exactly how it works we have three guys uh generally two just go to the game unless the the ad or the mhsa requests a three-man crew a lot of times they'll do that in the playoffs uh for bigger playoff games regional finals state finals things like that they'll request a three-man but usually it's just two men do you have a preference whether you're the plate or the base umpire you know, it's funny. Everybody seems to ask that. I'd, I'd rather be on the plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot more engagement. A lot, you know, every play you're doing something um, on the field. It's a little less, less. But you know, then you get some bigger plays. You got bangers at first, second, stealing. You know, so they're both have their 
detriments and their their perks, but I'd rather be on the plate. So beyond bowls and strikes, what is a home plate umpire responsible for? What's something we might not know that the home plate umpire is responsible for calling? Well, I mean, first off, you got the lines. So you got to follow lines on mm-hmm. both sides. Uh, you got to read the the base umpire where he's going. If it looks like it's going to be a contentious play in the outfield, the line drive, diving play, things like that. Sometimes the base umpire will go out and try and get a good view of that. So that kind of leaves you hanging with four bases. So you got to get you know cover second base from the plate. So there's a lot. There can be a lot of running involved uh, to get to that point. But ultimately, it's it's a lot of reading your partner and. You know, again, I, I've kind of said that in the in the football aspect. Um, once you work with a guy, you work with a couple guys, you kind of know, you know, hey, he's not going to go out unless it's unless there's a need. Hey, some guys will just go out like the major leagues just for fun to get a run in, and then you know you're kind of left hanging. But most of the guys we work we work with, it, it's you develop a camaraderie, a rapport, and you kind of know what they're going to do. So let's say that your base umpire goes out to the field, he's looking at maybe a line drive. The ball's not caught. It's live. There's a runner heading to third base. There's going to be a play. Whose call is that? Is that the home plate umpires or the base umpires, even though he may be beyond second base? No, it's definitely the home plate umpire. Uh, Our rule of thumb that we use on our crew is if you go out, you stay out. Uh, The last thing we need in a big game or any game really is a safe out call. You know, it it has happened in the past, um, and that's kind of how you get to this point uh, where we're at now. But if you go out, you know, that's our rule with the guys. Stay out, go you know, get some popcorn for someone in right field, do whatever you got to do, but don't come back in for a play because I'll take the three bases. Brad, do you have any preference about what spot you like to cover the most or what's easiest for you to cover as far as when uh, officiating basketball? Um, I, I don't have a preference. I mean, you, you end up in both positions. Um, I, I think, you know, there's, there's certain things that you look for at different spots. Uh, someone told me a long time ago on basketball, ref the ball. You know, I think that's one of the challenges in basketball first getting started is you have a tendency to watch the game versus watching what, you know, you should be watching. So, for example, on a baseline, when a free throw goes up, you know, your eye should be in the lane, not at the rim. You know, you want to watch that ball go in. But really what's happening is, you know, somebody's getting after somebody, you know, in the paint. So, um, you know, you learn those over time. But I, I really don't have a preference. I, I enjoy both uh, both hands. Now, football, unless you're stationed on the sideline, you're covering something there. Basketball, you're a lot more, you know, intimate. The coach can be a lot more in your ear. Do they train you a way to handle a coach who's been, you know, in your ear all night, anything like that? Is there is there a guidebook or anything like that for young officials? No, I don't think there's a guidebook. I mean, all sports, I mean, and people competing, I think it's an emotional game, and we've talked about this before. I mean, um, a lot of these people, you know, we know, uh, and you know them outside of the field, but, you know, when, when, when things get competitive, you know, emotions run high, I think it's how you manage it, and you recognize, you know, there's a line, and I think you have to put the line in the sand when it's necessary, but in general, um, you know, I think you, it's part of it, um, but there's certainly a line, and I think that that's something that if you establish early, coaches can respect that, and in general, you have a, you have a pretty good night. Dave, is that the same way you found in baseball or softball? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like Brad says, you know, once a coach realizes where your break-even point is, um, generally they respect that. Uh, there have been instances where they don't, and then, you know, you got to deal with things accordingly. But, again, you, you've known these guys. A lot of these guys we played with, we grew up with, you know them outside because it's a smaller community, right? It's not a Detroit or Minneapolis where you don't see people on the streets or in, in Meyer or wherever. So um, you just got to – they respect you, you respect them, and – Hopefully it's a good thing. I want to ask the same question, but in regards to the crowd, is there a certain way that you're taught to deal with maybe an unruly crowd member? I mean, you're never going to make everyone happy officiating, what have you, but how do you balance the crowd? If, you know, there's somebody, what's that line for when somebody starts to become a disruption to the game? Um, You know, I've been doing this a while. I've only had it happen once, and that happened to be at Fox City Stadium in Green Bay where uh, Mm. I, I... I could not please this individual. I went over and I asked him forcefully. I said, you know, you got two choices. You're either going to zip your lip or you're going to have to leave. And he decided that he was going to keep talking, so he got security to walk him out. Uh, generally speaking, that doesn't happen. I mean, it, especially in football, you know, Brad, with basketball, you're, you're right up and close and personal with, you know, the person sitting in the front row. But football, you're kind of removed. You can hear the roar behind you. But generally speaking, you don't hear individual comments and you know, baseball is a little different. You know, go to some of these parks where the, the 
the plate is, you know, five feet from the backstop, and people love to sit in their lawn chair by the backstop and let you know what they think of every call you make. And, you know, I mean, the general rule of thumb is you're always going to make half the people unhappy with everything you do. So if you can get past that and realize, you know, hey, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, I'm calling it as I see them, so to speak, um, the rest speaks for itself. Brad, do you feel the same way with basketball or because the intimate setting, can it be a little more difficult, especially when compared to football? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely a little bit closer, uh, you know, to the crowd in basketball. I mean, I, as, a, as a general rule, like Dave said, doesn't happen very often. I mean, I, I, I do not engage the, the crowd. I, I think I've seen it once before where we actually, I was on a crew, we had to go to an AD and ask for someone to be removed or at least addressed. Um, I think once you get officials engaging with, with, with people in the stands, um, that's that can get ugly pretty quick, and it's just not something that it, – it, there's just a professionalism I think you have to maintain there. And there are officials from the school that are on site. I think you need to go there if, if you need to address something. Before we hit the bottom of the hour and we get to our second break, I want to ask each of you, Brad, from a basketball perspective and Dave from baseball or softball, what is the most difficult kind of call for you to do from where you are, whether it's you know something hit down the lines, is it fair or foul, if it's a play at a certain base, uh, Brad, I don't know, reach in, uh, goaltend, what have you. What is, have you found to be the most difficult thing to call? I think uh, on the basketball side, everything uh, is so bang, bang. It's so quick. Um, I think, uh, you know, a charging, you know, call is, is sometimes a challenging. I mean, you've got to get, you know, an angle, especially doing two-man. I mean, where you're really hustling to get into position. And sometimes these things happen as you're trying to move to a position. So um, for me, I would say that's probably one of the, the more challenging ones. Uh, from a baseball perspective, it definitely a, a banger. Uh, steal a second, uh, close play at first. You know, I mean, generally, if you're in position and you can – you, you sell the call, right? I mean, that that's always been in training. You know, you sell the call. We don't have video replay like the major leagues do, so we can't go back and say, well, was it right or wrong? Now, people have filmed with their phones and shown me if it's been right or wrong, but I, I think the banger, the, the real quick, you know, bang, bang, heat of the moment call. I want to ask you from a curiosity standpoint, you know, the balk can be difficult to call sometimes. You know, and you've said you had a little bit of experience with, uh, the bases, mostly your plate guy. But is the box something that the bases guy or even the plate guy from time to time is trained to look for? Or is it just something, if you see it, you call it? Well, generally speaking, our whole crew is trained to look for it. And, mm. and it's no, it's nobody's defined call. Hey? I mean, it's not a home plate call. It's not a first base call or a third base call if we're working three men. Um, if you see it, you call it. Um, it, it is tricky because there's a lot of, you know, the, the major leagues – develop a lot of tricky moves which trickle down into the lower levels and then you know they they get morphed and they don't look the same as say justin verlander doing it or matt boyd or whoever you're, you're watching so the the intent is there for the move but it doesn't look like they do it you know it, generally speaking there's deception and then there's the rule and there's a it's a fine line between that and you've got to find that Tanner Hoops in studio with you in the ESPN-UP officiating show. We're joined by Brad Austin, Dave Poninen. we got to take our next time out just across the bottom of the hour. we got more coming up from the official side of things next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you Monday afternoon. Glad that you're along as always. Here's your Sports Center update. Louisiana top Curacao 8 0 yesterday to win their first ever Little League World Series title. With the win, the U.S. teams have now won consecutive Little League World Series for the first time since 2009. Rory McElroy shot an 18 under to win the 2019 FedEx Cup, earning a $15 million bonus. And finally, last night the New York Yankees hit home runs number 59, 60, and 61 in the month of August as part of a 5 1 win over the Dodgers. The Yanks' 61 long balls are a record for a single month in Major League history. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along as always. Uh, it is the ESPN UP officiating show. Brad Austin, Dave Ponin are in studio with us as we learn more about things from the official side of things as we get set for a new calendar year of Michigan High School Athletics 2019 2020. 
That's got started in a few sports. At tennis, I think volleyball's underway. And Brad, you've been doing a little bit of volleyball or starting to try to get into it a little bit. What made you want to pursue it? Uh, yeah, really just getting started. Uh, had a scrimmage last week here in Marquette, uh, Marquette Nagani, and I think Stevenson was up too. And, um, I, you know, uh, actually uh, one of our uh, fellow crew members had asked me to, uh, you know, get involved in this in the last couple of years and just wasn't able to find the time, but um, decided to, you know, get into something a little bit different. I uh, haven't seen it before. It's a little different, uh, you know, view for myself, but uh, really enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully getting some matches uh, this fall. Do you like the fast-paced sports more, basketball, volleyball, what have you? Are they easier to officiate or are they more fun? Uh, I don't know if it's more fun because I, I think football, it, it takes time for things to develop, uh, but certainly that's the my, my most favorite would be the, the football side. Um, there, there's a lot of action, in, obviously, as we talked about in basketball. Volleyball, too, you know, a lot of action in that. I mean, uh, the girls really get after it out there. Um, so, But, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're looking at it from a different perspective in those two sports where it's a lot more – you know, bang, bang, it's quicker. Uh, football, there's certainly is quickness, but from where I'm sitting in the back judge position, you really get a chance to watch things develop, and the speed of the players really uh, can sneak up on you. I mean, you're, you're, you're there one second, and next minute, you know, you better get to the goal line. So, but, uh, yeah. How many officials typically make up an MHSA varsity volleyball crew? Uh, to my knowledge, I think it's two. There's mm. there's someone up on the net, and then there's what in the position I played this past week. I was in the R2 position down mm. on the floor. So um, I had some really good training by some you know officials that are doing it and have been doing it for quite some time. We went down a little early. We got some classroom, uh, and then they I shadowed them out on the floor. So um, really had a, a better understanding after just a couple hours of work. Well, I tell you what, Dave, you do softball as well as baseball. We did a tournament together earlier this summer. What do you watch for in baseball as compared to softball and vice versa? What are some of the differences as far as how you officiate them? Well, I think the biggest difference between baseball and softball is the size of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, by, by and large, the rules are the same. You know, you got your intricacies, in, intricacies with designated players and things like that, but um, softball just happens so much quicker. That ball is moving out of the, the young lady's hand there, and it, it's coming back right at you out in the field just as fast. And everybody's so bunched in, it's basically a little league field, you know. So, um, Legion ball or high school baseball, you got a little more time for things to develop. Whereas softball, you got to be really, really sharp and on your toes. You know, one of the biggest differences between softball and baseball is in regards to base stealing. Softball, you're not allowed to leave the bag until the ball crosses home plate when it's pitched. Whose responsibility is it to watch for that? Is that the base, the plate umpire, or is it just whoever's able to see it? No, that's definitely a base umpire, um, and it's more out of the corner of your eye. You know, in a two-man system, you've got so many responsibilities. It's got to be pretty obvious. You know, I mean, you're, you're trying to, to watch to see when she leaves the bag and when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. So it, it can be a game at times. You know, there's different motions. There's different deliveries. Uh, people release the ball higher or lower. You know, it, it's it's definitely a a, a, tra- a, cra- a craft. Now, when you have a three-man crew, like you mentioned, happens once you get down toward the state championship level, you do it in big tournaments. How does the responsibilities change with a three-man crew rather than a two-man? Well, you just split split everything in thirds instead of halves. So, you know, if, if you got a, a guy in the, what we call it, the B2 position or right behind second base, he's taking the ball from light pole to light pole. You make a V on the field. You know, then you get your third base umpire who's got everything on the outside, and your first base umpire's got everything on the inside. So, it, it's it's different. It's very different because we don't do a lot of that up here. You know, it it it, it takes a bigger game or a bigger tournament to to necessitate that. Well, and baseball and softball are unique in the sense that they have a lot of unwritten rules, what have you. Are there any unwritten rules as far as how you officiate uh, umpire a game? No, I mean we kind of spoke a little bit earlier of the if you go out, don't come back. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, Generally, we have a pregame with whoever you're working with. Um, I, I have a partner from Nagani, Kevin Price, who, you know, we work together for four or five years now. We kind of understand where everyone's going to be, where e- each of us are going to be. Um, so it, it's just an understanding of who's got what, when, and why, uh, basically. So I tell you what, you talked about your football positions. You're both part of the same crew, and you've got your assigned uh, positions, what have you, for the remainder of that season. But... You both do sports individually, Brad, you do basketball, and Dave, you do baseball, softball, where you can rotate your positions. 
Do you have kind of a preference? Do you like having the same one that you can specialize in, or do you like having a little bit of variety? Uh, myself, I like variety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, our crew leader has asked me to kind of venture out from the umpire position a little bit this year in football. Uh, so we had a couple scrimmages last week where I, you know, I took a line judge position just to try and learn that and learn the roles and responsibilities. So if we do have an injury or, you know, somebody can't make it, things happen, uh, maybe I could fill in there. But um, there's a lot more variety in football than there is in baseball. What do you think, Brad? Kind of the same thing? Yeah, I've been asked to do the same thing. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of our, our crew leaders gave me a book the other night at our meeting, so yeah. I took the signal that uh, I needed to learn a little bit more on the sidelines. Um, I, I'm certainly open to that. I think the more you can learn about the different positions, I think the better you understand you know, the, the officiating overall. So um, I've gotten comfortable in the back judge position. It's something I really like to do, but um, I know in some of the middle school games, and some of the JV games this year, you know, I'll be looking to take up some other positions. Well, I'm curious about your meeting, and I know you may not be able to reveal everything out on open air, but what are some of the things that, you know, you can tell us that you guys discuss at this meeting? The big thing is, how was your family from the last year? Mm-hmm. You know, because some of us haven't seen each other for six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a lot of rules. It's a lot of changes. It's going through schedules. It's you know, coordinating event, coordinating rides and who we're going to, you know, where we're going to carpool, that kind of thing. And then where we're going to stop after the games. That, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. That's, that's, that's a focal point too. I, I want to ask this. Do you guys ever try to schedule certain schools just because you like going to a certain place in town after the game? We, there's some favorites that we have. <laughs> I mean, I, I think what, to what Dave was saying earlier too, I think, you know, the meeting and the things we talk about, I mean, you know, there's a level of, um, you know, you want to do a good job. And I think there are, you know, games in the UP that happen that, you know, you'd really like to be a part of. And I think at, you know, the end of the day, the athletic directors have some control over who they decide to bring in. And uh, if you don't have your act together, I don't think you get called back. There's enough people that are out there that can do it. So there's, in, in this crew and, and others, um, I think that's a part of that discussion too, is making sure people are on the same page. You know, we understand what the changes are and, you know, we have those discussions so that we can do the best job that we can because it's, you know, being in some of these, you know, venues on Friday night in big games, the rivalries, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to be a part of. Is that something that you guys enjoy is having the high profile games, you know, rather than spend your night at a game that finishes like 44 to eight, you like the high profile, you know, the, the heavy environment atmosphere? Well, I think that's human nature. Hey, everybody yeah. likes to do the big game. You want to do the World Series, you'd love to do the Super Bowl. That mm-hmm. can't happen every Friday night, right? Right. Um, I, I guess for me, it's just a competitive game. You know, if it's 44 to 43, that's competitive to me. It, it, well, we, you know, you kind of, if, if you get some big blowouts, those are kind of a little bit of a drag. But you got to do your best job either way. So I, I, I prefer the competitive do you guys have a preference of a type of game to call, like if we saw a Rams-Chiefs Monday Night Football 54-51, to or a defensive battle, something that ends like 8-6? to Do you guys have a preference? I guess myself, I, I like hitting on the interior line. I, I like to hear helmets crack and shoulder pads crack. I'd prefer a 6-3, to grind them out, you know, last man with the field goal wins. There, there's, there's things to be said about the greatest show on turf games, you know, with the Rams, like you alluded to, but... Uh, myself, I'd rather see a grind it out, you know, seven to six, thirteen to seven, that kind of thing. You an offensive guy, Brad? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Early in the year, I wouldn't mind some some low scoring. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I I can get a workout back there real quick. Um, I know Ethan Martish from Marquette, um, the Duchesne kid from Nagani. There's a couple others that. You know, my first step is always back with those guys because, and, you know, you rattle off, you know, four or five touchdowns and you got yourself a couple of miles in early in the game. So early in the year, it'd be nice to be <laughs> just for the sake of getting loosened up a little bit. But uh, I, I like the, I, I like the passing. I like to see a little bit more of that. Um, I know we don't see a whole lot of it, you know, in some of the, the conferences here in the UP. But, um, yeah, you know, whatever it is, you know, we'll, we'll be ready. So I want to clarify this for some of our listeners who may not know. You talked about how you have the white hat, the head official. Whose responsibility is it to throw the yellow flag? For our listeners who might not know, can either one of you, if you're not the head man, just take your flag and throw it out there and then make the call yourself, or do you have to go through the head official and talk it over first? No, the general rule is you know, we throw the flag and then we go over and talk to the white hat, and he'll say, what did you guys see or what happened? Um, that seems to be how we've done it. I 
I believe, you know, knowing some of the crews in the collegiate level, that's how they do it as well. So everyone has their own things they're looking for, you know, like, for instance, me, tackle to tackle holding or illegal blocking, you know, that kind of thing. Brad's got pass interference or, you know, formation issues. So everybody's got something they're looking for, but we all have the ability to throw the, the flag at any point. But you never have to learn what the signals are, what have you. I mean, you know, touchdown, you know, to put the arms up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But there isn't, like, a necessary need or whatever to be able to know what all those signals are maybe there is if you've done football at some levels and if so how long did it take for uh, to be able to master all those well I, I think what david said earlier is you know we've always if we throw a flag we report to the white hat and i think there's uh there's a it establishes some level of organization too where the white hat is making the official call, giving the signal, and I think that kind of sets a tone for the sidelines too. The coaches know that's who they need to talk to. I think if you've got five people on the field, you know, giving hand signals, um, that can probably turn uh, into confusion pretty quick. So we generally throw it, and then the white hat comes and we report to them, and then they give the they give the signal. Is it the same way with a touchdown call, or is it just whoever's closest to him? I got to admit, I'm excited after I see a touchdown. I'd always pay attention to you guys. I'm sorry. That's good, though. That's what we like. We don't like to be seen. Well, for me, I'm chasing the goal line, so if I get there first, there's also a sideline official that's that's running down, so a lot of times we'll give it together simultaneously. Um, so I've given it a few times. The field goal, uh, Dave and I usually in the back, we give that together. So we get our uh, fill of signals, especially on those those high offense games, but uh, generally on the on the penalties and those type of things, it's going through the white hat. Brad, I'm glad that you brought up the field goals because I want to get into that. I have some questions regarding how you officiate that. We'll do it so after our last time out on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of our show today, you can check it out on demand. Go to our website, ESPNUP.com, or get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore or Google Play just look up ESPN UP. Dave Poninen and Brad Austin in studio with me, Tanner Hoops. Brad, before the break, you brought up how would you officiate a field goal and extra points, what have you. Well, first of all, do you officiate as far as your positioning, what you watch for? Is a field goal called any differently than an extra point? Uh, no, I mean, the general lineup is the same. I mean, the umpire is going to be under the right side, on the right side, and the back judge will be on the left side. And um, you know, usually a, a few feet back from the post, you're just, you know, you're watching that, that line, you know, up on the, on the upright. Um, so in, in general, no, it's the same. Um, but certainly something that, you know, can, you got to have a good angle. So you can see, I mean, it can be a challenge at times. So you two in your particular crew are actually the ones that are stationed on either side of the field goal post, right? Now, how's that determined? Is that standard that your particular positions are there or does that change from crew to crew? Well, I mean, it's nice when you got a big, tall goalpost. <laughs> but some of these places you go to have a 15-foot goalpost, and you've got to invent the other 65 feet. So it, it can be challenging, like Brad said, at times where you got to look up and you know have a pretty good eye as to what's going on. So I tell you what, in the UP, you know, and probably through a lot of high schools all across the country, kicking is kind of rare. I mean, kickers are a rare breed. Does the aspect of officiating a field goal, an extra point, what have you, Sometimes does it get overlooked, or how do you guys make sure that you're on top of it in case, you know, you have a Mason Crosby somewhere out there? Well, I think it's just repetition. You know, mm-hmm. you talk about things, talk about things you've seen. Um, again, it's communication with everyone. Um, I don't know that there's practice, per se. You know, we don't go out and hire a high school kid to come out and kick field goals and watch the pole, but um, it's just repetition, looking at film, talking through things. So I tell you what, tell me about what you guys are looking for specifically. Brad, your position, what have you, what are you looking for when a field goal? Are you just specifically watching the ball, or are you checking to see if a certain player commits any kind of infraction? Uh, generally, we're just sitting back under the goalposts. I mean, you've got the two linesmen, and you've got the white hat that's kind of controlling. Um, you know, they're coming in, teams are coming in on a on a dead ball. I mean, there's the, the, right. you know, they're set, so... Um, for Dave and I, you know, we're just we're posted up in the back, making sure it uh, gets to the upright. So, which of the officials is responsible for watching players to see if there's holding? Somebody jumps the line. Somebody does what Bobby Wagner did and maybe elevates himself off a player's back. Which officials are responsible for that, or are any? And it's just whoever can see something happens to spot it. Yeah, I think it's all of us. I mean, we certainly have the ability to make that call. Um, 
you know, the the white hat or the two line guys would be more apt to make it. But, you know, back where we are, we can certainly make a call. So you two are stationed on either side of the goalpost. Where are they stationed the rest of the crew typically? Well, the white hat would be behind the kicker, okay. offset off the kicker. And then I believe the two linesmen are just on the side of the, the play, basically watching things on the outside. Because you, you, you may have an instance where they, you know, they muff the snap and you got a two-point conversion. Now you got holding on the edge. you got all kinds of infractions that could happen off the edge. When you get to a shot, I'm glad you brought that up too with the two-point conversion. A shorter field where everything compacts a little bit more. Do your responsibilities change once you're inside maybe 10 yards? Does your positioning have to be tweaked a little bit? Anything like that? In that case, on a conversion, usually I'm at the very back of the end zone. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the guys up front, they generally are staying the same. But I certainly have to take a little, diff- little deeper uh, spot in those situations. Is there any call that you found to be something that you really have to train yourself to watch for in football? Because I, I always seem like when I'm watching football, you know, I don't have near the experience or intellect about this as you both. An official throw is had if a player goes out of bounds and re-enters, and I just think, how do you pay attention to something like that? Is that one of the more difficult ones for you guys, or does anything else come to mind? Well, I think it's a lot of repetition. You know, once you see something, you get it in front of your eyes, and you look at it, and you, you realize when it's happening again. Uh, one of my mentoring officials way back when, you know, his big thing was get the big ones. You know, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, you know, I, from an interior line perspective, you can call holding on every play. Everybody who watches football knows that. It's get the big ones, get the jersey stretch, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I, don't, I don't think. I, I think for me it's it's get to the goal line. I mean, because it can be the difference between whether there's a score or not and, and, you know, whether it's a tight game or not, you know, those ones count. If you don't get there and you get beat to the goal line and there's a close play at the goal line where is the knee down or did the ball cross the plane, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest responsibilities that, that I have in the back is, is make sure we get that covered down on. Well, I tell you what, you always hear in the NFL when they talk about that, you know, there's a personal foul on number 60 offense, what have you. Is it a big deal in high school or any other level if you are able to get a specific player? Keep. I know it is in basketball. You know, you keep personal fouls. Is that a big deal in football? Do you ever take the time to mark down which player commits some kind of infraction unless it's something like a personal foul? Well, I don't think personal fouls per se, but, you know, ejectable fouls you certainly keep mm-hmm. an eye on. Um, but, yeah, personal fouls, no, I don't believe there's any. Well, as we get down to the final few minutes here of the show, I want to talk to you guys about equipment. Tell me about, from a football perspective, what the MHSA deems acceptable as far as equipment, to your knowledge, and uniforms, what have you. And have you ever had an instance where maybe there's been some kind of uniform violation? Are you talking about officials or? For, from your perspective, yeah. Well, I mean, we're generally we wear a one or two. You're talking about our, our attire? No, 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 no. Uh, uniform, player uniforms. Oh, certainly, that happens. You know, we have to go out and we check for, a lot of guys will have uh, casts on their arm, per se. They got a broken wrist or something they mm. want to play, a la Clay Matthews a few years ago. Just to, <laughs> just to make sure that it's it's soft and they can't use it as a weapon, right? Okay. Um, but that's the big, that's the only thing I can recall. In regards to something like a visor, uh, do they have rules about that in Michigan as far as it has to be clear, can't be tinted, anything like that? We don't see a whole lot of that. I, there's there's mm. only one that I ever rec- remember um, seeing, and I, I, I just don't think it's a big deal for us. Maybe about, in the bigger schools downstate. How about things like wrist tape, bracelets, anything like that? If they're allowed, and you know, I'm speaking more to bracelets than wrist tape or something like that, does the color have to be in certain contrast or comparison to the uniform? Uh, well, we don't – correct me if I'm wrong, Brad. We don't see a whole lot of bracelets other than maybe a medical okay. identification bracelet, but I, I can't remember ever seeing a bracelet. No, um, and then usually nothing loose like that um, as far as, you know, what we call accessories or yeah. whatever. Um, we don't see a whole bunch of that, no. It's such, a, it's such a violent sport. I don't think anybody wants to wear a necklace or you know, have something hanging off their wrist and get caught and bad things would happen. As far as uniforms go, and this kind of relates back to you you know, keeping an eye on certain players if they're uh, responsible for pass interference more than once, you know, if that's something that you need to keep track of, has there ever been like a uniform where you have something kind of like what we saw in Players Weekend in Major League Baseball this year, just awful to try to read those jersey numbers yeah. or anything like that? Well, I think the MHSA does a good job of standardizing jersey colors. They're emphasizing jersey numbers now. 
Uh, I think 2020, they have to be a certain dimension and cer- there's certain criteria that the jersey has to be. Um, yeah, if you're, you know, if it's wet, if it's snowing, you know, we had a couple games last year in the snow. Yeah, it can certainly lend itself to issues. Yeah, you had, uh, you talked about your equipment and what have you. What is the standard equipment for an MHSA official? And is that on you to be able to get that or does the MHSA supply that? You know, they don't, they don't supply it. It's on us. Um, generally speaking, I think most guys have three or four shirts. Uh, some pants, you know, ref's hat, whistle, beanie bag, flags. Um, over the years, you buy new stuff, and, you know, you keep that as a background and say so you have something in the bullpen. Hey, I, I don't, I'm, they do not supply anything, no. So between the five, you usually come up with what you need uh, most of the time. But there's, there's quite an array of things. I mean, it depends on the sport, too. I mean, just getting into volleyball now, I mean, I just got a laundry list of stuff that I need to get to measure nets and do other things like that. But, uh, yeah, those are all things we, we take care of on our, on our own. So the typical football officials uniform, which you guys are going to be donning here Thursday, Friday night, what's that going to look like? Well, it's our two-inch shirt. It's our white, black and white striped hat, uh, striped down pants, some form of small cleat, um, whistles, flags, beanies, timers. Um, it's kind of like a police officer. You just bring out whatever you think you need. <laughs> Hopefully you don't need hand warmers in August, but you know the way things are going, maybe that happens. I don't know. We'll see. Are shorts an option for officials, especially in the early months? I believe technically they are. We've chosen not to uh, you guys are pros. that option. Yeah. Uh, we also try not to wear long sleeves till November, too, but some of us <laughs> fall flat on that. So. Well, I tell you what, I only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, it can be a thankless job at times, and I'm glad you guys enjoy it. I hope a lot more people are going to enjoy it and you know, because there is a shortage right now throughout Michigan. And just in case any of our listeners missed it earlier and they're interested in trying out, you know, there is a small flat fee, but you can get licensed across multiple sports, and you do that by going to the MHSA website. Is there anything else I missed as far as anybody? Uh, you mentioned earlier, Dave, uh, just – talking to officials just talking to them after a game on friday yeah i mean most of us you know if you come up and say hey what'd you see you know as long as you're not confrontational we're going to tell you i mm-hmm. mean we're people too uh, nobody is harder on this group of five than us you know at, at the end of the day like brad said earlier we want to do what's right and we want to get the call right we don't have the the option for instant replay at the high school level you know like the professional guys do but you know we're we're, we're doing what we can to make sure we're doing it right Last thing for each of you before I let you go, you know, again, it's a thankless job, what have you, but we couldn't do what we do without you, whether it's high school coaches, media, what have you. Is there anything that you want fans to know from an official's perspective? If you could let fans and listeners want know one thing, what would it be? Brad, let's start with you. <laughs> I, I think most... Keep it radio appropriate, Brad. Most, <laughs> most importantly, I think, is you just you don't get them all. Mm. Yeah. You know, and I think on the field you have a perspective that is different. You know, I told you earlier, I went, in coaching, I got into efficient because I wanted to see it from the other side, the other perspective. And, and it's amazing when you're sitting on the bench versus being on the floor, the different angles that you have. So I, I think if I had to say, you know, something is, is, you know, we're doing the best we can, but you don't get them all. Yeah, I would parlay onto that. You know, the, there's nobody that feels worse about a bad call that you can't turn over than the official that made the bad call that you can't turn over. You know, whether it costs someone a game, a championship, or even just a first down. You know, we, we're pretty good about beating ourselves up over it and making sure it doesn't happen again in that respect. Dave Bonin and Brad Austin, MHSA officials, they are here on our special edition of the Sports Pen, the officiating show as we kick off high school football this weekend. Dave, Brad, I really appreciate you both being here. I learned a lot. I think we got a lot of good insight. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. Have fun. Sure. Sounds good. Thanks, Tanner. Appreciate you guys both, and I appreciate you for listening. I'm back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope that you join me then. Until then, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to ESPN-UP.